Hey everyone, welcome to Yanks in Europe, sponsored by Guinness. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, this is David Maines. And this is David Lamb. Uh, we decided to finally do this podcast because as United States men's national team fans, we can finally see a promising future that we want to get others excited about. We want to get more people aware of what is going on with this team. In the past, as a country, we only seem to care about the team when it comes to World Cup qualifying and the actual World Cup. As we all know, this only happens every four years. What we want is for Americans to be more invested in this team year in and year out instead of treating it like an election, for example. This country's got 10 plus players enjoying starting 11 time for big clubs across Europe, including Chelsea, Juventus, Manchester City, Barcelona, Bayern Munich. These are huge clubs playing with the likes of Ronaldo, Lionel Messi, that our country is finally getting names on that everybody needs to be getting excited about. Greg Berlhalter is going to have a lot on his plate coming up next year with the U23 World Cup, CONCACAF Nations League, the Gold Cup, and the Olympics. In base case scenario, we can have up to 30 competitive matches from June to March of 2022. With these four competitions coming up soon, this should give a number of players in the United States player pool a chance to show why they belong in the United States A-team. My soccer fandom probably started in about 2004 as that Greek team upset the world by somehow winning the Euros. Honestly, though, a lot of it just comes from FIFA and kicking the ball around. While I've never been particularly good at playing the sport, uh, thanks to my love for the baseball diamond, I've always understood the aspect of the game, the way the players move to create openings, and the tug of war for over an hour and a half that just eventually leads to a 1-1 draw. Over the last uh, decade or so, I've made so many friends and memories because of my love for the sport and from lifting my sister over my head as Chelsea finally won the Champions League in 2012 to correctly predicting Real Madrid beating Atletico Madrid 4-1 to in extra time, hanging out with my buddy Tyler in New York City. This sport has given me some of my fondest memories over the last decade plus that my American franchises have deprived me from for so long, and I can't wait to share that love of it with you. From childhood, soccer has always been my favorite sport. I grew up playing it at the age of four, played it all the way until I was 18 when I finished high school. Whether I was playing in a competitive club match or just a pickup game with a group of friends, those moments were some of the best moments in my life. My love for the sport eventually got me into refereeing games to where I would referee rec soccer games, club games, even middle school and high school games, and occasionally I got a developmental academy game to ref. My love of my sport continues on to my favorite players, which are Landon Donovan, Clint Dempsey, Josie Altidore, Tim Howard, and now the GOAT Christian Pulisic. Picking up from my favorite players, which happen to all be U.S. team players, two of my favorite memories of soccer I can remember, one being the 2010 World Cup when Landon Donovan scored the game winner in the 94th minute against Algeria. And I can just remember him sliding into the corner and the whole team piling up in the corner flag as we had were advancing to the round of 16. Also another time, the 2014 World Cup, the John Brooks header for a goal that eventually beat Ghana. Ghana had knocked us out in the 2010 World Cup, and also they beat us in 2006. So that game was a huge moment for the United States team because we had finally beaten Ghana. The United States men's national team has 11 players playing in Europe's top form in the UEFA Champions League group stage, including... Christian Pulisic, who was the first American to score in an FA Cup final. 
Weston McKinney, the first American to play for Juventus, the top club in Italy. Gio Reyna, who's following Christian Pulisic's full step, footsteps over at Borussia Dortmund, scoring and assisting at will, including getting three assists and a 4-0 win. Tyler Adams, the first American to score at a quarterfinal of the Champions League. He also is the second American ever to play in a semifinals in the Champions League. Serginio Dest, who got a humongous move after performing well at right back for Ajax, moving over to Barcelona while also having interest from Bayern Munich in Germany. He's now playing with his teammate, Conrad De La Fuente, in Barcelona. We've also got Richards at Bayern Munich, Mendez at Ajax, Zach Steffen is goalie at Manchester City, Horvath, goalie at Brugge, and Cayuse, who has now just decided he's going to play for the United States national team, is playing over at Michelin. We have a bright future, and they're all going to be on – and just we need to make sure we're keeping an eye on them. Let's take a dive a little bit further into this list of players who will be playing in the Champions League. The top one is obviously Christian Pulisic, who's the starting left wing over at Chelsea. Pulisic first began uh, started getting noticed when he was over in Borussia Dortmund, uh, whatever that's with his youth acad their youth academy. Uh, eventually played well there, got brought into the United States youth. Academy played 15, only played 15 matches for the youth team before getting called up to the senior team. Christian Pulisic is the youngest American player to ever score in a senior United States men's national team game to when he did it in 2016 in the international friendly against Bolivia. His progression over at Dortmund resulted in the record transfer fee to Chelsea FC, what was worth 73 million. And no, it's not what you're thinking. He did not get paid $73 million. To put it in other terms, when a player gets a transfer fee, that is as if instead of a club tra trading another player to that team, the owner is paying the owner of the other club outright for that player's services. So the owner of Chelsea paid Borussia Dortmund $73 million that Christian Pulisic would be a Chelsea player. Christian Pulisic did get off to a rocky start coming into Chelsea until late October of last year, where he recorded a perfect hat trick against Burnley. For those of y'all that don't know what a perfect hat trick is, basically Christian scored a goal with his left foot, his right foot, and did get a header. Shortly after that game, however, he was, he did get injured, and that would keep him out of the lineup until the Premier League restart of June of this year. When the league restarted in June, we saw a new and confident Pulisic taking on every single player and creating a goal per match over across eight matches, including a goal and an assist in only a half hour's time against England's best Liverpool. This time, he may have been the best player on Chelsea and possibly the best player on the pitch against any club when he was playing, just from confidence in every single thing that he was doing on the field, whether it was passing the ball, shooting the ball, taking men on, and just making sure that Chelsea held possession and was not giving any other teams opportunities. He kept his form going strong, scoring in the FA Cup final against Arsenal, scoring in the fifth minute, uh, being as the first American ever to score in the FA Cup. Unfortunately, uh, shortly after the second half did begin, Christian did injure his pull his groin while attempting to shoot, uh, take a shot off on goal. Um, that injury has kept Pulisic out of action until just two weeks ago to where he's finally been cleared to come back into action. And he should be expecting his first start in the Premier League this season on October 17th against Southampton. The next player we'll take a dive into is 22-year-old Weston McKinney. McKinney bursted onto the scene at Schalke in 2017 after eight years in the FC Dallas Youth Academy. Being a holding midfielder, he has large shoes to fill, playing the same position as former captain Michael Bradley. 
He'll have to work hard to find minutes now after being loaned out to Juventus of Italy this month. The pressure is on playing alongside Paolo Dybala and Cristiano Ronaldo and being managed by one of the greatest center mids of all time, Andrea Pirlo. The next player we're going to talk about is Tyler Adams, the 21-year-old center mid for the United States national team. Tyler Adams uh, first started in the Rebels Academy back in 2011, where he played with the U13, the U14, and the U16 sides before turning professional. Tyler Adams' first professional contract was signed with New York Red Bulls 2, eventually working his way up to the New York Red Bulls A-team. Tyler Adams played well for the next three seasons, which resulted in him getting a transfer over to RB Weissbach in Australia. Now that we've kind of talked about the bright spots of the United States national team, we need to be a little honest here. This team could be good. It should have been good a long time ago, but it's been bad for at least 18 years. Over the last four World Cups, we missed it in 2018, which was absolutely embarrassing. We finished 16th in 2014, 16th in 2010. We got knocked out in 2006 pretty quickly, but we did make the quarterfinals in 2002 after losing to Germany 1-0. So it's been about 18 years of just embarrassing results and us spending millions and millions of money on losing. There's not a country in this world that spends more on their national team than the United States. With that money, we should be finding the players to put out on the field to win some games. To pick up on just not making the World Cup in 2018, that I feel like that was most definitely the most embarrassing moment in the men's national team history. Um, for example, a country, Iceland, who has less than 50% of the population as does Charlotte, North Carolina, they managed to find 11 players to put on the field, and they qualified for the World Cup in Europe, which is a lot more difficult than qualifying over in North America, where the United States was. United States were trying to rely too much on Christian Pulisic. It was only 17 going on 18 at the time for him to carry the whole load by himself. Pretty much the club was a, a bunch of me's and not a team. You could see it on the field, kind of in comparison to how Argentina plays, where they hand the ball to Messi and they just hope that something happens. And sometimes that'll get you somewhere when you have the greatest player in the world on your team. But for a 17-year-old who's coming up and trying to develop, that's not the way you want to look. We worked really hard in ways. Um, I think we defended okay. I think set pieces were a little iffy at times, especially against Trinidad and Tobago, uh, which we just embarrassingly lost in front of a ruckus crowd of about 200 people. I don't care what the field conditions are. You are 11 players who are getting paid millions of dollars to step on the field and win a game against not even professionals go out there and win the game and get us into the World Cup. I don't care if you need Panama to tie and you need Mexico to make sure that they tie in order to get by. The only way that you had to get into the World Cup was win the damn game. And if you had won the game, we would have been in the World Cup and nothing else would have mattered outside of that. I know. Panama got an own goal that shouldn't have counted. If that didn't happen, we would have been in. If you won the game, we'd be in the World Cup, period. Don't get me started on the 2014 World Cup with the atrocious decision from Jurgen Klinsmann to not include Landon Donovan in the lineup and instead to bring in Chris Wondolowski. You know what, matter of fact, we're just going to call him Trash for now on. We're not even going to say his name. No, it's not allowed. Trash. We all know of Chris Wondolowski's miraculous miss in, what, the 90th minute of the game that would have propelled us in beating Belgium and sent us on to the quarterfinals. That game was 
wonderful at times. Tim Howard definitely was the player of the match with the World Cup record 15 saves in that game, and he practically put the team on his back and carried us through that game. Um, he was absolutely insane, stopping goals from the likes of Eden Hazard, Axel Fietzel, Benteke was on that team, Lukaku was on that team. This was an amazing Belgian team who kept developing and probably should have excelled a little bit more in the most recent World Cup, but they were young and they were ready to go, and Tim Howard stopped everything that was coming his way from them. And it just makes you wonder, like, does Jurgen Klinsmann ever look back on that, you know, and regret not bringing in Landon Donovan to that lineup? Yes, I understand Donovan was older. I know he wasn't at the peak of his career. He was on a downward slide. But at the end of the day, he's a veteran. He's the greatest U.S. national team player at the time. Obviously, Christian Pulisic is probably has passed him, if not on the way of passing him. It is absolutely. But you still need that veteran leadership, someone who is a proven goal scorer in the World Cup. Because at the end of the day, we all know Donovan Eza would have made that goal while the last game missed. Donovan and has made that goal in the World Cup before. There's plenty of people. Josie could have made it. Dempsey would have made it. Hell, Michael Bradley could have scored that. I may have tapped it in. Maybe. Uh, but, you know, if were, were we looking at a quarterfinal date with Germany then? Possibly. Uh, but we do as a country need to stop dwelling on that moment. I think about it probably far too often. I know David also thinks about Chris Wondolowski's missed goal a little too often. He reminds me about it probably every time I see him. But, you know, like we said earlier, this this team has a lot to improve on. I think we're moving in the correct direction. I think that when the next World Cup comes along, we've got, like we said earlier, we have so many matches coming up that these young stars need to prove it, and they need to do it now and not wait. Because we have been waiting. The United States was in the semifinals of the first ever World Cup in 1930. 90 years ago, we were in the semifinals of the World Cup. And honestly, I'm surprised it's not talked about more with how absolutely obsessed this country is with winning. You know, sometimes you need to lose, but it's okay. Um, But, you know, we are on our way there. And 2022 can't come soon enough. It's going to be a time for us to grow. And a time for us to get excited for what is around the corner come 2026, which is the United States hosting the World Cup for the first time since 1994. And 1994 was the biggest stage for a team that hadn't really done well for a long time. And we managed to beat Colombia. So it's something to look forward to that we're going to keep developing on. At the end of the day, the U.S. has a bunch of young talent. And I know everybody keeps saying we have a bright future, bright future this. Sergio Dest is going to be great in the future. Gio Reno is going to be great. Christian Pulisic is great. McKinney is going to be good. At the end of the day, you got to stop with the bright future. It's got to be a present. These players have to start proving now, sooner than later, that they are here. They are ready to play. They are ready to play at the top level. The United States as a whole needs to be better. The men's team needs to be better. And everything that we're saying now, it's not the first time that this country has said it about their team. I remember them talking about Landon Donovan and Jermaine Jones, and Tim Howard was great, and Carlos Bocanegra was balling out, and Clint Dempsey, Josie Altidore. This is not the first time that we're talking about our team having young starlets who are ready to go, who are ready to bring the United States glory in the World Cup. They've done it on in CONCACAF. They've won the Gold Cup. They've beaten Mexico. They've beaten Costa Rica. They've beaten Jamaica. But it's time to beat the likes of Argentina. It's time to beat Germany. It's time to beat Netherlands. All these clubs who have done it for decades and spend far less than we do. 
the only reason why it's being talked about a little bit more now probably is just how large multimedia is. The way that soccer has grown in the United States over the last decade or so, thanks to Fox Sports airing German League, uh, ESPN having all these rights, NBC Sports has done amazing with the Premier League, making sure that at any given day, you can probably watch a match in the United States for free. And if that was going on in 2006, in 2010, in 2014, a lot more people would be looking at this club like we do at the moment. It's not good and it needs to get better, but we do have a future. Yeah, I mean, like like you said, I mean, we do have a bright future. There is a lot of young talent on this team and in the player pool. I mean, we potentially could be looking at a World Cup starting lineup with an average age of around 23, 24, which is insane because you got to think that nucleus of players will be here for the 2022 World Cup, 2026 World Cup. Hell, they'll be here for the 2030 World Cup. They're just that young. And if we can have a solid team – form over the next year to year and a half heading into the World Cup, the USA will be good. We will be good for the next eight, 12 years with this young talent. Obviously, and just so everybody does know, the developmental academy, it shut down. Cope, you know, due to the unfortunate circumstances with COVID-19, the DA, they didn't have the money. They're shutting this down. A lot of people are looking at it negatively. I think of it as a positive thing because now these players who were playing in the DA, they're now going to be playing in the MLS systems. For instance, Charlotte FC, we're, we're getting an MLS here t- team coming in the next couple of years. We have an academy team. We already have the U14 academy playing, the U17 academy, the U19 academy. It's going to give these players a better opportunity to come up through an academy of a professional team instead of playing for clubs in the developmental academy. And, and to build on that, you know, other countries in the world that are able to win and do it correctly – they didn't have developmental academies. You do not go and live in Germany and you play for the German developmental academy. You play for Bayern Munich's U squad. You play for Dortmund's U squad. You play for Leipzig's U squad. You move your way through the ranks and then you get noticed. And this step will not only help the United States men's national team, it will help MLS clubs get better and have big signings and move players from Dallas to Juventus or from the New York Red Bulls over to Liverpool, these things can start to happen because we're moving away from the United States Developmental Academy, moving into much more of a South American structure or a European structure and start to develop players ways that it's worked before. And I don't know why the United States thought that they could reinvent the wheel and just make it work when that's not how soccer has ever worked. I mean, it's the same thing when you think about college. I mean, we might be the only big country that players go and play in college. You don't see that happening in Spain. You don't see that in Europe. Players don't go off to a university and play three to four years, and after they're 22, 23, then decide to turn professional. There's kids that are 16, 17 out in Germany that are professionals. Mm-hmm. They're six years ahead of what we have in the United States, and that's another issue. That's why you see a bunch of these young talents, Weston McKinney, Christian Pulisic, Gio Reno, they're all going overseas at a young age, 16, 17. 15 years of age because they know if they want to get noticed, if they want to play big time soccer, they got to go to where soccer is big time. They got to go where soccer is the most important sport. Mm -hmm. And why do you think that when, if you're going off of our 2014 roster or 2010 roster, our best players technically weren't from the United States. Jermaine Jones, German, like he was developing over in Germany instead of playing here because that's where you can get it done. That is where the money is invested correctly. That's where the coaching 
sees the kind of player that you are, puts you in the right position, doesn't think, oh, you're not fast, so you probably shouldn't be starting. Oh, you're not tall, so maybe you don't work on this club. They find the spot for you. They see that you have talent. They see that you have drive, and they work with it. Yeah, I mean, it, at the end of the day, it's where the U.S. is going now is a lot more brighter than what it's been. We're not relying on the kids going to college. We're not relying on the developmental academy. These kids are going overseas, doing the right thing, starting to play for these youth academies like Borussia Dortmund, Bayern Munich, Barcelona. They're starting to play with these big-time clubs so they can get known, play with the better players. At the end of the day, playing in the MLS can only make you so good. If you're going over to the top clubs in Europe, when you pay with better players, it's going to make you better. Regardless of whatever you do in life, if you're doing something with people that are just as good as you, if not better, you are going to up your game to prove that you belong. And that's what these kids, that's what these young guys are doing for the U.S. right now. And I don't want to crap on the MLS, and I don't want to crap on college soccer or anything like that because if that's the correct route for a player, that's the correct route. If that's the coaching that they need, if that's what they want to do, that's what they should be doing. Exactly. We've had players – that have done very well on the brightest stages come from the MLS. Jordan Landon, Morris. Jordan Morris, number one draft pick to Seattle. He played at Stanford for years and is a pacey guy. He's had some bad luck tearing his ACL twice. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if that didn't happen, who knows what kind of uh, front through we have today. Landon Donovan played most of his career in the MLS, scoring goals for LA Galaxy. It didn't work out that well at Everton, but scored goals in the World Cup, probably the most important United States goal of all time, scoring against Algeria in 2010. Almost brought me to tears, I will not lie. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it works for some, but not as many as it should, and that's why it's time to go with another angle for it, and it's time to take the direction that the team is finally starting to take. Looking at what, we're do what they do in Europe and running with it, because, you know, out of the last how many World Cups, I think – Unless you're named Brazil, it's a European team that's winning the World Cup because they know what they're doing. They know how to develop the players. Yeah, I mean, and and that that's what this whole thing is about, you know, getting these players developed, sending them overseas, letting them play with the better guys, letting them get better coaching, better training. And, and that's just where we want to see the United States national team going over these next couple of years heading into the 2022 World Cup. Like we've said multiple times, there is a lot of good talent on this U.S. team right now in the player pool, and we just need to know how to use it. Big breaking news, though, for the United States men's national team today. Brandon Aronson, an attacking mid playing at the Philadelphia Union, is moving from the Union to Red Bull Salzburg in Austria at a record transfer fee of $6 million. This kind of just piggybacks on what we were talking about, about how the, the clubs are starting to have their developmental teams here in, uh, in the United States, and the big move is huge for us. It's going to continue the youth development and players moving to Europe and just getting more game time. And he's going to be playing under Wisconsin native Jesse Marsh over in Austria. Yeah. And Marsh did come from uh, New York Red Bulls. He was uh, the manager there a couple of years ago. So yeah, I mean, it's great news. We look forward to seeing his progression over there and wish him nothing but the best. Um, so yeah, our last topic of the day, you know, if anybody's interested, we do, uh, there is a big slate of games coming up this weekend. Uh, for a bunch of the U.S. Uh, national team stars, starting with Gio Reno. He plays tomorrow, October 17th at 9.30 a.m. on ESPN+. Plus. We also got Josh Sargent, same thing, 9.30 a.m. tomorrow, October 17th, ESPN+. Plus. And, of course, we got Christian Pulisic playing tomorrow for Chelsea against Southampton. 
Their game time is at 10 a.m. You can catch this on NBC Sports Network. Also to build on that, Des could be getting some uh, playing time against Getafe at 3 o'clock on BN Sport tomorrow. It's October 17th. Also, Tim Ream and Anthony Robinson, a couple of my favorites, are going to be playing Sunday morning at 7 a.m. on Peacock. Those of you who want to grab a cup of coffee and watch some soccer, it's going to be a great game. And to close out the weekend, we've got uh, Gassi Zardes and Sean Johnson in a big matchup of the Columbus crew against New York City FC at 6 o'clock on ESPN+. Kind of just to close things out, we want to thank everybody for giving us a listen. Uh, I know there were a couple cracks in there, but we're trying our best. We're getting it going. Uh, this has been a long dream for the both of us, and we're just excited to finally be living it and finally be getting the content out for the team that we love so much and we have so much faith in that we kind of just want others to have faith in them and want to see what's going on. Yeah, I mean, just to piggyback off of you know what David was saying, this is our um... – First, you know, first episode on the podcast. We are learning as we're going. We know it's not perfect. Um, we'll appreciate, you know, we appreciate feedback. Anything y'all do have, constructive criticism, you know, positives, negatives, anything. Just let us know. Like you said, we're learning on the fly, and we appreciate anything uh, you can give us. And don't forget to subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, and also we'd love a follow over on Twitter at Europe Yanks. Have a good night, everybody. And we are still not sponsored by Guinness, but we're getting there. <laughs>